press record. Always be recording. I am not bossy hands. So welcome to Something to Drink About. I'm Alex Van Amberg, a certified psalm with Quartermaster Sommeliers and a certified specialist of wine with the Society of Wine Educators. My name is Christy Collins, and I am a stay-at-home mom. No, I'm not. I'm not a stay-at-home mom. Why do I even say that? No, don't stop. You're kind of a stay-at-home mom, though. I mean, but you also are a yoga teacher. You also, uh, um, what else do you do? Well, I do a lot of laundry. Laundry. That's and dishes. You, I, no, you I don't do a lot of dishes. I have to say, I shove those out on you. <laughs> Here, wine. Okay. So uh, this is something to drink about, and I already told you who we are, but um, you can hear us on iTunes, you can hear us on Spotify, you can hear us on Stitcher. You can hear us anywhere there are podcasts. Yeah. Anchor is our home base. Uh, we also have a, uh, a WordPress uh, homepage and uh, a Facebook page and an Instagram. Instagram. So watch out for our Instagram stories, everyone. Yeah. So if you're not on Instagram, get on Instagram. Uh, you can find us under something to drink about out there. Uh, hashtag something to drink. And uh, hashtag. Hashtag. Yes. Okay. So it's red. Yeah. So we have a new wine in our glass today. Uh, it is a red wine. I it, need the white paper. Well, hang on a second. We'll get you some background to work well, with. Well, I have this, yeah. you know. Footstool that's taupe we don't makes everything that. look. You know what? I'm actually when I'm doing wine tastings, frequently I'll choose my outfit based on the fact that I'll be doing a wine tasting. Like I'll make sure I wear a white shirt because that way I can shoot my cuff and I can look at the wine against my cuff. I like to shoot my cuff. What? <laughs> How do you turn something that innocent into something that dirty? Who says that? I just shoot my cuff. It's a thing that you do when you wear a suit. You have to pull your sleeves out huh? so you shoot your. I'm cuffs. gonna wear a suit and shoot my cuff. There was actually a moment in the the latest uh, Mission Impossible movie where Henry Cavill, <laughs> who plays Superman, actually um, does this arm cock where he kind of kind of shoots both of his arms out and cocks his biceps. Right? Like he's re- they call it reloading his biceps. <laughs> so it was very funny, and it was they they kept making him do it all the press conferences, and you could tell by the time they got they're finally finishing, he was just done with the whole thing, but they right. weren't letting it go. What a great casting crew that must have been to play with. Yeah, well, I didn't see the movie, so I can't. Oh, I can't enjoy that moment with you, but I'll enjoy it with you. Wine. <laughs> okay. More wine. So tell right. me about the wine you have in your glass there, Christy it's Collins. It's ruby. It's beautiful. It's, you know, lighter on the edges because it's thinner. I mm-hmm. know, but I still love that kind of thin pink area. And I always think of Esther and the clothes she'd be wearing mm-hmm. if they were this color. Well, visualization is an important part of wine drinking. Well, it's an important part of my brain. Mm. And, you know, in the 70s. Okay, so I had this stepdad. His name's Gilbert. He's awesome. Love you, Gilbert. Wherever you are in the universe, you saved my life and I love you. But he used to take us to these, um, me and my mom, he used to take us to these Italian restaurants mm-hmm. at where the booths were this color. This deep This deep red, red color. And then they would, they would have all the accents were this color and it was dark wood. And that's what this reminds mm-hmm. me of. So this is a translucent red purple, purple red, would you say? Yes. In okay. the 70s, they called it wine red. Right. But what we're discovering is that wine actually has a variety of I different know. colors, which is kind but of awesome. But this is the 70s wine clothing color. Okay, great. So excellent. Um, so we have this lovely red wine in our glass <laughs> with uh, with very light uh, staining on the glass. No, no real staining on the glass. The legs are slow and moving. They take a while to actually develop. And uh, what does your wine smell like? So it's strong. I don't know. Okay. 
I do think that my nose is a little bit um, clouded. Blocked from being um, having a cold over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is uh, I, uh, then I'm going to jump in and say this is this is not fruit forward. This is fairly earthy. It's um it's it's earth forward. It's a little bit musty, um, almost yeah. potting soil. Musty, mm-hmm. like like moldy potting soil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, maybe not mushroomy. Moldy. Mushroomy. Eh. I get that, like. You know how when you have potting soil that just has a little tiny bit of layer of, I don't know if it's mold on it, but it has like that that white, yeah, um, like uh, yeah, that 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 uh, I'm gonna say Some fungal kind development, of, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and and it's developed that that very earthy, very fecund, um, very rich, very smell, fecund. Okay, so you know when you fecund you... is that like fecal? Well, it has the same root, but I mean, fecund is it, it's very earthy and it's very rich and it's very nourishing. Um, so the idea that something is fecund that's is not it, what I think of fecal, but that's not fecal. A fecund, okay, fecund something. It, so it's 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 a phrase that's used to mean that the earth is ready to give birth is the idea. So um, wow, it's uh, it, how do you even know that? Books <laughs> <laughs> stuck in a log cabin with a dictionary to read encyclopedias. Oh, encyclopedias. Yeah, Sorry. I was raised in a log cabin and my mom threw out the TV, so I had to read encyclopedias when I was a kid, which made me an extremely boring junior high school kid. Wait, you have to talk about the radio because that's the best part. Oh, yeah. No, because when, when I was seven years old, my parents <laughs> got religion, and right? And so before that, we had this massive cabinet TV like you did in the 70s, which was awesome. Uh, but they chucked the – no, sorry. They sold the TV. We had three kids in there. They said they sold the TV for $30 and gave each of the kids $10. That was our consolation prize. And after that, they turned the radio station to the Gospel Voice of the North and tore off the knob. And that was it. That was the only radio station from then on for the next 10 years. And they really did tear off the knob. I don't know that they really tore off the knob. But essentially, I mean, because we had to listen to Tradio occasionally, too. What's you know, Tradio? Tradio was a radio program for when you lived in like the sticks in Alaska. You could you could um, submit that you wanted to, to sell something, and they would re- announce it on Tradio on the radio. So that's it was like sort of like Craigslist of the radio. It was reg- It was yeah. It was Craigslist of the radio, and that's, that's what I grew up amazing. with. So I mean, hour after hour, my mom would be listening to Tradio to decide if she wanted something. And yeah, I know because you well there weren't thrift stores nearby. It was like a fifteen mile drive to the nearest town where the nearest thrift store Ooh. was. And trust me, we spent enough time there too. So you have to talk about the dump. I'm sorry. What about the dump? How you used to go to the dump oh, and pick through the dump. I love that dumpster diving. Yeah. Well, we lived next to an air force base, and everyone got, when they got transferred out, they didn't want to take they couldn't take stuff with them, and so they would dump really valuable stuff at the air force base. And so my mom would go to the base, and we'd be theoretically dropping stuff, but somehow magically taking a little <laughs> bit more than we actually went there with. So I got some, you know, you got great furniture, desks. Um, I, I, she found a stereo once, you know. That's so cool. Yeah. So you know, MREs, meals ready to eat. Those were a favorite when I was a kid. Those were awesome. Oh, right. You told me about those. So, anyway, we're getting yeah, a little okay. off topic. Sorry. Now, because you I have a glass of wine in your hand? I like your history. It's an exciting history. Well the, well, the weird thing is is to grow up in a log cabin on a river in North Pole, Alaska, 90 miles south of the Arctic Circle, and then to be a sommelier. Eating moose. Yeah. Like, they, they, don't, they don't really and, go together. So, it was a long and twisty yeah. journey to get here. But here we are. And that's what I love. Wine. See, nobody knows that. They just hear your voice. In it's a rather a feat. You have great language. Did you say my voice is rather a feat? Well, you have an effete quality. Well, just your simmer voice. down there, fruit boots. <laughs> <laughs> your voice is rather effete. No, you sound like Frasier a little bit. Uh, okay. You don't sound like you can change a tire, although you can. 
And you can really rock the plaid, I'm saying. Anyway, so red. wine in our hand, okay. red in Here a glass, smells earthy. It does. I can smell the earth now that you mention it. Okay. But again, I do think my my nose isn't as... I just am not smelling like I usually do. Well, also, I mean, swirl the wine a bit because swirling wine is going to release some of the esters. It's going to open it up a bit. I love it when Esther goes swimming. Esther goes swimming. Make Esther go swimming. So if you haven't heard like our second podcast in which Christy decided that um, when I was trying to describe how alcohol grabs uh, grabs flavor um, particles and smells and waft them up in the glass, that's called the esters being released. And uh, Christy decided that Esther was uh, a 1920s starlet with ringlets. No, a 1940s pinup girl. Sorry, 1940s pinup girl. So now... Now every glass has an ester in it, it possibly does. multiple she, esters. She like sometimes she jumps back in and she's got a bathing suit on. Sometimes she wears like tulle and like frothy outfits. Sometimes it's beaded. I think she's wearing some like a beaded swim, you know, those like swimsuits from the 40s, a little bit boy shorts. Okay. But it's beaded. Well, ever since you brought up Esther and her, because the idea is Esther's kind of with the with the curvature of the wine glass. So now I have this image of synchronized swimmers, all named Esther, wearing <laughs> swim caps and belted twenties <laughs> swimsuits, climbing up the side of the glass and then diving back into the bowl. Yeah, and yeah. So uh huh. They're all named Esther, and they're apparently they're all wearing wine colored. Well, and I think this one she's got a um like a tearaway bustle of tulle and then she jumps back up on the glass and she puts it back on and she dances around on the edge of the glass and then she takes it off and then she dives back I thought you down. said the wine was subtle. No, no, not this one. <laughs> this one. Didn't I say it was pretty strong? It was stronger. I just can't I can't delineate the smells because like I said a million times, I had a cold and it was awful. And I was in bed for 2 days and mm-hmm. now I sound like Demi Moore. A little bit. <laughs> so uh, why don't we try tasting the wine and see where that takes us? Oh. Okay. <laughs> are you are you going to slurk? I'm going to look away. I'm putting my hand in front of my face so I don't see you do that very unattractive thing. Okay. I'm just going to put my hand over my eyes like it's an eye pillow. I can't because I have glasses. Ooh. It's not working. Oh, oh don't bad. do it. This wine's lovely. Ooh. I don't know. It's really good. Okay. First impression. It's really good. Excellent. It's really good. It's not warm. Mm-hmm. It's bright and happy. And I said that before. See, all these emotions. Maybe I just think wine is bright and happy. Well, you're having an absolute emotional response, which is great. Um, but what does it taste similar to? I mean, you know, there's a similarity to it. You know, for me, I mean, there's there's a there's a, a, a immediate similarity to drinking cranberry juice. Exactly. You know how when you take a drink like like that ocean it spray cranberry like juice and cranberry juice on your tongue. Yeah, it just it's it it yeah it's got that though the bright crisp uh, tartness, oh. uh, lighter red flavors Tart, and light. Yes, absolutely delicious. Total cranberry. You nailed it. That must be why you're a sommelier. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and Wait after again. that initial impression, the flavors there's some darker cherry flavors on there as well. Um, no, it's like it's like black cherry and and um, there's like tart cherries. We used to have a tree behind my grandmother's house in uh, Olympia, Washington. Pie cherry, and they grew pie cherries. 
and I would climb up in the tree and I would, I would pick pie cherries and I would eat them until I, I got sick as a goose. Um, and, uh, it was just, it was, it, but the, the, that tart pie cherry experience oh, has never left me. Fresh pie cherry. Yeah. Absolutely. My grandfather had a big, huge cherry tree that was like 40 years old, 50 years old by the time I was a kid. Oh, and it was so fun to climb that tree. And I would pick the cherries, but I would eat half of them. And then on the sides of the tongue, you're actually getting some of that earth that we were talking about on the nose. And you, it's uh, it did we talk up. about earth? Yeah, I did. Oh, fecal. Fecund. Fecund. Fecal is poop. Fecund is ripe and rich. <laughs> and nourishing. which one do you want in your glass? <laughs> ripe, rich, and nourishing earth. Mm. I like that. Okay, so uh, let's play our little game. What do you think it is? Oh no. Is it? Is it got a lot of alcohol? A little alcohol? There goes my heart again. It's racing. Well, I mean, well, well the, let's let's go through it. And let's. I mean, Under it's pressure. it's it's a very. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with the brand new inventions. Oh, sorry, wrong song. That was so good. <laughs> um, so if you, if you look through the wine though, so this wine we know it's a lighter grape because the the, the wine's very translucent. You can see through it. You can read through it. Um, so it's, while the color is slightly dark, well, you have to tip your glass to the side. You can't, but you can see through it, right? I don't have my white piece of paper. Anymore. Okay. Well, hold it. Yeah, up I can your see other, through it. Yeah. Hold it up against your other hand and you, and if you can see your ring through it, if you can see your fingernails mm-hmm. through it, then it's oh, really translucent. Oh yeah, I get that. So it's, it's transparent. So yeah, if your white piece of paper has words on it, then you've got a very light translucent. So there's not, when they made this wine, there wasn't a lot of extraction. It didn't spend a lot of time on the grape skins. You can't just say there wasn't a lot of extraction without... Telling me what that means. Okay. Well, it wasn't on the grape skins for a very long time. Or, alternately, it was on thinner grape skins. Like, some grapes uh, have really thick skins with lots of color. And you extend, you get a lot of color by sitting on uh, by letting the juice sit on the grapes for a while. Okay. Some of them uh, have very thin skins. And they don't have a lot of color to contribute. Um, and because there's not a lot of color in the skins. You, did I ever mention that all grape juice is white? It doesn't matter if the grape is red, white, pink, whatever, all grape juice, all wine grape juice, it's it's all white. So if you, you can make a white wine with a red grape. Oh. You can take a Pinot Noir grape and make a white wine. That's what champagne is. Oh. But the thickness of the skin determines the flavor that gets into that white grape juice in a lot of cases. So a, a Cabernet Sauvignon has a very thick, plush, colorful, tannic skin. So Which when you means press the juice, you'll do better in LA, right? So it's ready to be an actor. Okay. Whereas yes. a Pinot Noir has a light, delicate, um, lower color skin. I mean, it's got a good color, but it's it's got low uh, lower sensitive. It's sensitive. Mm-hmm. It's more of a Portlandian grape. Okay, I get that. Making animals, well, it's more yeah. aware. It's more cognizant of its environment, and it's more sensitive to that. Right. So and it responds differently than mm-hmm. a big, thick, tough skin grape. So what we have in our hand is what do you think from those two examples? not the big thick tough skinned one which would be a cabernet right okay so, so it's not a cabernet it's the lighter one it's not as infidel right it's a god was i not listening probably not <laughs> <laughs> did i check out again uh-huh. it's the portlandian grape which is pinot noir <sighs> so this is a pinot noir um but from the taste of it does it taste like it's from california do you think or does it taste like it's from what is does it taste like it's from I don't, I really, 
the fact that you can even tell where something is from is so beyond me. I can't, I can't even answer that. It's not really a fair question because you haven't spent your time memorizing where different flavors come from. Now, honestly, different wines taste different. But I'm different in love from... with this and I want to take it home. Okay. It's a great wine. You know, I'll be 100% candid with you. This is a great wine, but you're not going to be able to, and it's not a fair question to ask you because you haven't built up a library of flavors. You don't know. I don't have a library of flavors. Well, but that's what a wine taster does. That's the secret. You know, you watch the movie Psalm or you hear someone go, okay, what is this grape? Well, how the hell are you supposed to know if you've never tried, you know, how are you supposed to know it's an Aglionico if you've never, you don't even know what an Aglionico is? You know, how are you supposed to know what a Retsina tastes like with that pine sap in it, that Greek wine, if you've never tried wow. one? You know, you don't know. There's no way to know. That was a beautiful word picture. Good but, job. Uh, yeah, well, they actually do use pine sap. You know. No, but it just sounds beautiful the way you said it. It was beautiful. But so there's no way clenched fist you've passion. never um you've never tasted wine with intention to memorize where it is or what it's like or where it comes from. And that's a big difference between what a wine specialist does, be right. they a sommelier or not, and what a regular wine drinker does. And so the expectation that you would have that lexicon, that that encyclopedic knowledge that someone who sets about it with deliberation would. <laughs> I don't have encyclopedic knowledge about <laughs> anything. You do, actually. <laughs> Stitch Fix, I think. Oh, and and yeah. Value Village's schedule, apparently. Well, um, <laughs> okay. So these are things that you've done with intention. That's true. The colors from the 70s, stylings of houses, the way yes, buildings are constructed. That's uh, true. Furniture. These are things that you've done with great intention. We talk about furniture sometimes and you can pick a pattern and a style and a place and put it within uh, uh, not only a decade, but within years. Right. I um, people who are fascinated with cars can do the same thing. They can look at a car and go, oh, no, that's okay. a 63 that's been modded or something. Whereas, but they, but no one expects you to know those things when you go to dinner. No, they just come out and they're like kind of some bright, cherry little. And that's part of the problem with wine tasting. Why people, snappy, everyone seems fun. to think they should know. Right. And no one, you know, there's no reason you should know. There's no, there's no reason to have this knowledge stored away unless you, you're a nerd like me and you actually go at it with intention. So asking you what you think it is, there's no pressure on that from me because I don't expect you to have a frame of reference. I'm just wondering if it sounds familiar. Is it a song you've heard before? Oh, and I do like music. Uh-huh. So we know it's a Pinot Noir. That does it right. sound like something you've had before that you remember that was, was important or this special? This does not harken back to anything that mm -hmm. I have ever tasted. And I think this could potentially be my favorite wine I've ever tasted. I, I will, I'll say this. If you're going to get into wine, the most important three words you're going, to, you're going to need to get over saying and be comfortable with is I don't know. It's totally cool to not know. So get used to saying I don't know. So if you don't know what the wine is, say okay. I don't know. Good. If you have a guess, then say I have a guess, but I don't know. And so, you know, it, it, for me, that's really tough. I feel like I should know this stuff, and I don't. I just so. don't feel like I've ever tasted anything like this wine mm -hmm. with that cranberry thing, but with the smooth finish. And I don't know. I just think it's really. It's a really well done Pinot Noir. Um, and so what makes this wine new world, but not old world and, and not California? So California is a very warm area. So things tend to come out with a lot of fruit and a lot of heat. Mm -hmm. um, and this doesn't have a lot of fruit on it. And it doesn't have a lot of heat on it either. No, but it it's um, and, and things that come out of the old world tend to have a lot more earth um, first in them. Okay. So when you smell them, they smell earthy. When you taste them, they usually taste earthy first too. It's been my experience, okay. particularly with Pinot Noirs. Burgundy is renowned for that. So old world Pinots have this earth first characteristic followed by fruit. This is um, new world, but it's not 
California, where we mostly get that. It might be Oregon, because Oregon's a cooler growing climate, and therefore softer nose, more modest nose, a little more earth-driven on the nose, um, and then fruit first on the palate, though, followed by earth. So that takes you into the new world. And then, however, this is um, this is New Zealand. So we're oh. New Zealand. Yay, we're back in New Zealand. So, and Isn't I honestly, that where we started? Um, it was one of the first ones. One of the first ones. The Nabolo Icon was episode three. Episode okay. one was actually a Gruner Veltliner from uh, Columbia Gorge down in okay, Oregon. Right. So, um, so yeah. So this is Craggy Ranges uh, from the oh, Martinboro. Oh, even the name. I love the name. Craggy Ranges is a great name. Right. Um, and it's 2016 Pinot Noir uh, from the Martinboro area. Um, and Can it's I have uh, this for Ranges. my birthday? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a great glass of wine. Craggy Range does a really good job. They do a great, um, they they do great Pinot Noirs, uh, and they also, I mean, obviously they do a great Sauvignon Blanc as well. They actually also do some other red varieties you normally don't get out of New Zealand. New Zealand usually focuses on Sauvignon Blanc; it's where they make their money. Mm-hmm. They do great Pinots, Pinot Noirs, because um, they have this great cooler growing maritime influenced. Oh. Um, you know, so the, the Pinots do really well there, but they also found some warmer growing areas that actually do some really great traditional heavier reds like Cabernet or Merlot and red blends. And so Craggy Range also has the Teikahu, which they do, which is named after. It's a Maori word. Um, it's a beautiful word. Say yeah. it again. Teikahu. Wow. So they, okay. they Craggy Range does some great Can you words. do the Maori um, fight the, dance? No. What do they call it? The haka? Oh, 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 oh. Nope. No? Oh, it's so good. I can you sing gotta learn to do that. part of the song from Moana. <laughs> no, you got to learn to do You're that. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. I got that. That you I You got to do. do that in your plaid and your boots. <laughs> then you got to do the Maori, what is it called? The haka, I think the is haka. what it's called. Yeah. So, that is so, I love the haka. I love that ugh, kind of male energy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> More wine, please. Right over here. Yes. We're going to need another bottle and then the check. I think that'll be important. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So, uh, Craggy Range has been around, I think, for about 20 years now. They were, uh, it's, a, it's a family winery. Um, there was a gentleman who actually started Craggy Range, I believe. He actually made a, a fortune in fly ash, which is something that you, you use for making concrete, of all things. Oh. But he made this money in shipping throughout the the the, the, um, uh, the Oceania, I guess is what they call it, mm-hmm. around the islands in there. And so he made his money doing these very mundane, very boring tasks, working with potash, working with cement, um, working with things that have no joy, no life, no, no real um, art to them. And then with this fortune that he had, he had several kids and he says, you know what, I want to create a winery and leave that to my kids, have that. And one of his kids was very interested in it. So he made, he he went and they did a lot of research and they found some great growing areas in uh, New Zealand. They could have bought in France, they could have bought in California, mm-hmm. but they chose New Zealand because it was a little closer to where his base of operations in Australia was. But also because the land there was just opening up 20 years ago to this great new development. Um, New Zealand is a fantastic growing region that was really just exploding with possibilities then. And so they bought land there um, they, and they started working with some really great winemakers to create these amazing Craggy Range wines. And now it's 100% run by the family. And the deal that he made was that when he set up this winery, he invested a part of his fortune in it. And it cannot be sold outside the family. Mm. It cannot the, the, the family cannot sell it. They have to keep it, and they have to keep running it. It's just it stays in the family no matter what. That's just really cool. That's a great story. I mean, because lots of people make lots of money, not me, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
But what what a great thing to do with your money instead of just you know instead of of sitting on it to invest in creating this thing that keeps giving forward and gives joy to you and me and and makes you want to have it on your birthday. I think that's one thing that I love about a lot of these winery um, mm-hmm. people. I don't know what to call them. What do you call a winery person? Winemaker. A winemaker. Winemakers is that they tend to have legacies for their children, and I mean. Like a very popular one would be Coppola, right? Mm-hmm. And his children are involved. And there's something, yes, there's the movies, but there's something really lovely about farming and about creating and about making this beautiful product that's enriching of your family, but well, also other in the old people. world is a generational dance too. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is is that's what your family did. And that's what you do is you, yes. you, you raise the grapes and, and they recognize that the process is not just going out and selling it, but it's about raising it, creating it. And we it. don't often have that legacy. And that's what I love about winemakers. And a lot of them just seem to pass it down to their children. And that's what I love is the story of them. And then it's almost as if they're passing their family legacy over to us. Well, they say that the best way to make a uh, small fortune in winemaking is to start with a large fortune. So (laughs) I don't know how grateful the children of these winemakers are. (laughs) Hey, Dad, Uh, I see you've made $100 million. Yes, son, and I'm going to pass on a legacy worth $225,000 to you. Here you are. (laughs) But you have a lot of barrels to play with, honey. (laughs) But it's, I don't know, maybe it's just romantic on my part, like thinking of, you know, this family unit that's, Nobody sets out in the business to create a myth about themselves that is less than romantic. But no, it is a lovely romantic idea that these farmers created this wine and then passed it down from generation to generation. And that little Bobby someday will take over his grandfather's business and he can't wait to be part of that as opposed to going off to be an actor in L.A., for instance. Right. That's true. I mean, you could be running a sawmill right now mm-hmm. in Alaska. It's true. So and it's, that it's would a, be a good life. But winemaking is such a and lovely business wear, to romanticize okay, anyway. stop. And you would be wearing plaid and those work boots. Why do you keep talking? I don't know. Because <laughs> it just keeps coming up. And so I have to say it. But you talk too fast. So I ha- actually had to cut you off to okay, get it well, in there. Fantastic. I'm just bringing it back around. It's called a callback. Well done. Thank you. So speaking of callbacks, this has been Psalm Thing to Drink About. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alex Van Amberg and this is Christy Collins. And uh, you can catch us on Spotify, Stitcher. But you have to rename the wine. I will. Okay. And uh, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, Psalm Thing to Drink About. It's S-O-M-M hyphen thing to drink about. And this has been the 2016 Craggy Range Martinboro Pinot Noir. Are you just shutting me up? Thanks for joining us. (laughs) 